This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Andrew Showquist of Fluid joins us to talk to us all about the integration with NetApp Blue XP. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipor. Zipor. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have a special guest all the way from, I guess, Australia, right? Is that, is that right, Andrew? That's right. All right, excellent. Indeed. Andrew Showquist is here. So, Andrew, what do you do down there in Australia and how do I reach you? Thanks, Justin. Well, hopefully you can understand me with my really southern accent. So I'm the founder of a company called Fluid, and Fluid has a great relationship with a NetApp that goes back a couple of years. And you can reach us via our website at fluidhq.io. We're also on all the other socials like LinkedIn as well. So reach out to us. And you can also find us inside of the Blue XP console as well, which is what we're going to talk about later today. All right. Excellent. Now, I'm not going to make any Australian accent jokes or anything like that, but I will ask you, what's your number one least favorite Australian accent joke? I have my theory of what it is, but let's, let's hear it. Well, there's a couple we probably can't use on the podcast here, but uh, you know, g'day, mate, or throw another shrimp on the Barbies. Or That's the one. one. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah. A shrimp on the Barbie. Like, I'm not Australian, yeah. and I know that if I were Australian, I would hate that. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's not a knife. That's a knife. <laughs> yes. I can't believe you're still getting Crocodile Dundee jokes. It's been yeah, like 30 he's years. Still, indeed. <laughs> Paul Hogan. Marvelous guy. All right. So let's talk about what we're here to talk about, and that's Fluid and Blue XP, of course. So let's start off with Fluid. What is Fluid? What do they do? And tell me a little bit about the products. Yeah, great. Thanks, Justin. So Fluid is a software-defined infrastructure platform, which allows for the simplified and automated rollout of cloud-like environments anywhere. So our goal was really to be able to give a cloud-like experience like you would get in a public cloud hyperscaler, but more on-prem or at the edge or in a colo. So we've seen, obviously, the rise of the hyperscalers and the public clouds and some fantastic services that are offered there, but also the simplicity with which those services can be consumed. So we set out about three years ago to build Fluid, and Fluid enables that to happen. So it sounds like you're integrating pretty tightly with, our, with a lot of NetApp products, and most specifically, BlueXP. So I'm a little bit familiar with BlueXP, but I, I would imagine that you're much more familiar with it. So tell me what Blue XP is and try to tell us from the perspective of a, of a partner integrating with it. So Blue XP, as we see it, is the next evolution of Cloud Manager. So that whole concept that a single pane of glass can manage your data state, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, really now has been reimagined to enhance and drive deeper into those data services from NetApp, but now also with third parties such as Fluid. So what we bring to the Blue XP experience is the ability to now not only manage your data services from that app in that single console, but now also manage the network and compute elements of your solutions, regardless of wherever they may be deployed. So basically, you're taking the concept of storage and you're kind of lumping it in with the virtual machine aspect of the cloud with the compute instances. So you're able to manage all those in a single location. Is that kind of what I'm understanding there? 
That's right. So Fluid allows you to run compute workloads in the form of either virtual machines or also Kubernetes-enabled containers. So in a really simple deployment methodology, in a matter of minutes, you can turn those bare metal resources that you may have in your colo or at your edge locations into fully-fledged VM-capable platforms or Kubernetes capable platforms as well. And then of course, tie that back into the Kubernetes enabled services that NetApp offer like Astra Control Service and Astra Trident, just to name but a few. I know BlueXP can manage instances either in the cloud or on-prem. Does Fluid also tie into both of those locations or is it strictly a cloud-based management system? So Fluid is truly a hybrid cloud offering and this really kind of makes that hybrid cloud story ring true. So regardless of wherever you want to run your workloads, whether that is on-prem or at the edge or in a public cloud using the bare metal resources that you can get from those providers, we can have a seamless homogeneous experience to enable us to deploy those workloads regardless of the form factor, whether they be VMs or containers. So with the containers and Kubernetes aspect, is it strictly like a Kubernetes deployment that you've set up yourself? Is it GKE? Is it AKS? Is it all the above? And can you also integrate things like straight up Docker into this? Yeah, great question. So we basically provide a Kubernetes that's deployed from upstream Kubernetes. We orchestrate the full turn up. So we deploy the operating system, we deploy Kube, then we also deploy some fluid magic around the networking as well. So it's not necessarily a flavor of like GKE or EKS or AKS. It's not a distribution, but it's a method of basically deploying Kube in a simple way. Because for those out there who have ever tried to deploy Kube outside of a public cloud provider, there's a lot of complexity that goes into that, particularly with relation to networking. You've got to get your load balancer set up. You've got to get your IP subnetting sorted you've got to get your networking blaze and overlays sorted all that's managed completely automatically and orchestrated from within fluid the platform and visible and controllable therefore within blue xp so it really simplifies that process it also means that from a customer's perspective you have that single pane of glass approach regardless of the infrastructure that you choose to deploy your resources onto so it's not necessarily the case now where you have to build something for a particular cloud vendor or another particular cloud vendor we take this homogeneous approach so we basically say you can scale your workloads now globally rather than having to silo your workloads in into particular cloud vendors or into particular nations or regions so is fluid kind of acting like its own kubernetes engine then is that what i'm hearing yeah, so we manage the cube turn up and then we also manage the deployment of both master nodes and worker nodes in those clusters. Then we also add some extra capabilities, which is great for departments and service providers alike, departments of large enterprises. So for example, we have a nested Kubernetes capability. So the ability to run cube uh, and VMs at the same time on the same hardware clusters, but then run multiple clusters of cube within that without using any virtualization. So it's very similar to the approach, I guess, that's taken with an SVM in, say, an ONTAP cluster, where we're able to basically keep deploying those cube services really rapidly. Additional services stand up in about a minute and then hand that off to a department or a developer to be able to make use of cube without having to worry about all the complexity that's happening downstream or under the hood, down to the bare metal, for example. So again, that's where we talk about having a cloud-like experience where all the infrastructure is orchestrated and, and turned up and stood up. 
by itself. And you can jump really quickly then into actually getting down to deploying workloads and adding value at that upper stack layer. So what if I already have an existing Kubernetes deployment? Can this work alongside that or am I going to have to migrate over to what Fluid uses? Yeah, so it can work alongside that. We basically say, though, in some scenarios that we can join an existing environment. Brownfields, of course, is a little bit of a challenge in some cases, not just from a fluid perspective, but across a lot of technologies. So, yeah, there is a capability to do a seamless migration and integration with existing services on a case-by-case basis. I guess from our perspective is because we can turn up Kubernetes instances and that platform completely and literally five or six minutes from the time that you boot the first machine, there's really a good value proposition there to switch to Fluid. The other thing I'll say too about Fluid from a security perspective, which is kind of interesting, is that we've built Fluid to be immutable and ephemeral. So what we mean by that is that the operating system that is pulled down from the cloud service that runs alongside BlueX is hardened and secured and built out of a series of industry best practice security And so when you boot the operating system that is going onto your bare metal hardware, effectively you have comfort in the fact that environment is free from critical vulnerabilities and exploits and other security issues that may be lurking in your underlying infrastructure. Now, the beauty here, of course, too, because of the ephemeral nature, whereby we can add and remove nodes literally as quickly as we can boot them or shut them down, it means that an upgrade on our environments to either patch a CVE or to scale because more resources are required is as simple as rebooting a node. And in a scenario where your workload's deployed and Cube inherently is resilient to failure, it means that a rolling upgrade on a cluster basically leaves you at the end of that upgrade process with a freshly patched and upgraded environment without having any downtime to your workloads. I would guess that you have some logic built in there to automatically migrate container workload from node to node as you do these reboots, right? Exactly right. And we subscribe to the view that, which I know NetApp's pushed for a while, that Kubernetes is the operating system of the internet. So from our perspective, there's no better from an orchestration perspective built by the guys and girls and team at Google. And what we say about that is that we leverage Kube extensively, particularly for the scaling elements and for the orchestration elements. And so a lot of that failover and resiliency pieces come inherently with Kube. But of course, we have some additional magic that happens to, to make sure that those workloads migrate around either failures or great processes that are in play. So failovers and resiliency and upgrades, that's just one aspect of keeping a Kubernetes cluster online. The other aspect is data protection. So How are you approaching that? Are you integrating with stuff like Astra Control with NetApp or are you doing something else? This is where the NetApp relationship with Fluid really comes to the fore. So because we've built Fluid on open standards, and so what we say about open standards in the networking stack, for example, we leverage BGP extensively. In the Cube world, we leverage NIs and support the full suite of CSIs, container storage interfaces. It means that when it comes to bringing integration with the likes of Astra Control Service, Astra Trident, and other products that are also Cube natively integrated, it means we can do that very quickly. And it means that we're not maintaining a proprietary or closed ecosystem that may exist in other providers. So there's a really nice pairing there that happens that when you, for example, turn up a fluid cluster, whether that's a single node cluster or a cluster with dozens or hundreds of nodes in it, the handoff point that we provide back to third parties, such as Astra Control Service, is the 
Cube API. And so from within Blue XP console, what you can do is you can log in there, you can actually download directly the Cube config file straight out of Blue XP, import that straight into your Astra control service, for example, and literally in a matter of minutes, the cluster's been built by Fluid. The data in the cluster is now being protected by Astra control service, and we haven't had to do any special networking. We haven't had to turn up private networks or VPNs or anything like that. It's all happened with the magic of Fluid under the hood. And the connectivity then between, say, Astra control service and the workload running in that Fluid cluster is completely secure as well. We use mutual TLS uh, between endpoints. So even though we relay traffic through the Fluid cloud service that sits alongside Bluex, we have absolutely no visibility of the traffic that's going in there. So it's a completely secure, completely cloud-like infrastructure. It just so happens that the actual cube workload can run literally anywhere that you have a piece of hardware to run it on. So with the upgrade process for the cluster nodes, does that also extend into the Astra control and Astra Trident pieces? Do you upgrade the plugins along with that, or is that something you have to do manually yourself? So at the moment, that's a, a manual process. We are working through on a roadmap, a series of add-ons and enhancements in that regard. So that should be next quarter, we bring through some capabilities to automatically do those upgrades. But again, because we expose the Cube API component, we can literally plug the Fluid endpoint straight onto the end of any existing CICD pipeline or other configuration management tool that is might be using. We're just building out, like I said, more and more integration with NetApp. The focus has been today to get the integration with BlueXP, and that's been a huge effort from both our teams and also the NetApp teams based in Israel. And what it's meant is that from a user experience, they are able to log into BlueXP, use the authentication there, use the workspace separation and account separation. We also log all our information directly back onto the audit timeline that's in BlueXP as well. So from a user experience perspective, you really do have that seamless visibility and capability to do the deployment. Now our next phase here is to continue to enhance that experience with more integration from an automated upgrade perspective, like you mentioned. You mentioned configuration management tools. Do you tie in, I guess, to like Puppet and Chef and Ansible and all the standard things? Or do you have recipes already pre-canned that people can download? How do you approach that aspect of it? We use some of those technologies under the hood as well. In terms of what's exposed at the moment, we obviously expose the Cube API. We also have a fully documented Fluid API as well. So basically everything that we build has been API first. So when you look at BlueXP, you know, what's happening under the hood, effectively it's calling our API. So there is capability there to plug on those automation tools you know, like Ansible, as you've mentioned, your Terraform in terms of a stand-up capability. Have we written plugins yet? Not yet is the answer, but we are keen to hear feedback from customers and users as to what's a priority for them. Uh, and we can certainly prioritize that. We've got a ever-growing roadmap. We have all the, the tech there. We have the, the endpoints there. Like I said, it's just a matter of prioritizing. Do we build an Ansible plugin? Do we build a Terraform provider? You know, again, we sort of led by requirements there and we can move extremely quickly in that regard as we've demonstrated. So if there's a customer demand that's needed for one of those tools, we'll make it happen in a really short space of time. What about like a presence with GitHub? Do you have stuff laying around on there that people can access with open source or is that something that's in the works as well? So we do have documentation that is there inside of GitHub. So some of our source from a fluid perspective is closed. We obviously leverage open source technologies quite extensively. We have a read the docs, which 
goes through and talks from a documentation perspective about how to get started with Fluid. But really, I, I guess we'd encourage people who are interested in giving Fluid a go or wanted to talk to us more. If they go into Blue XP, you should be able to see the Fluid icons. That's currently listed under Operations, on the left-hand side there. And that'll basically guide you to how to start with the sign-up so you can start deploying workloads almost straight away. And then obviously access to the documentation, the Git repositories and things like that that we've built and is there for reference. We also have a Slack channel that end users can subscribe to. It gives full and fast access to some of our development team and engineering team. So always keen to engage with more and more customers in any way that we can. You mentioned there's a way to access Fluid through the Blue XP interface. When I do that, is that like a trial thing that I get to start up? Is it something I have to pay for right away? And if I do, what does that payment structure look like? How are you guys making money on this? Yeah, great question and an important one. So now it's a trial. So in terms of coming into the environment, there's a trial capability that you can spin up your environments without any commitment on day one. When it does come time to license Fluid, the licensing model is pretty simple. We license on a cost per node per month basis. So we wanted to keep the licensing model super simple. Basically, count up how many physical servers you have or metal instances and cloud providers multiply it by the cost per month and away you go. So really simple. We don't subscribe to a model where you have to have RAM usage counters and different sizing is key from a fluid perspective, like everything else that we do to keep the licensing super simple. So it's literally about counting them on your hands and then licensing the number of nodes that you need in that particular month. So you're not charging licenses per CPU on a VM? Uh, not per CPU, not per RAM. No, we just want to keep things simple. There's enough complexity in today's world. So from our perspective, we find that model works well. Whether you're a service provider or an enterprise, it doesn't need a doctorate in licensing to be able to work out how much you need to pay from a licensing perspective. It's a really simple model that's working well for us. I feel like with that model, the concern is not so much simplicity and more so the feeling that you're being completely taken advantage of. Like, it's like, hey, I'm going to grab every last cent out of you. <laughs> so I think that's really what the benefit of having a more global licensing structure is. You might still be making roughly the same amount of money, but it doesn't feel like you're being squeezed. Yeah. Are you referring to the usage? Yeah. Like if I'm charging you per CPU and per RAM m megabyte, you know, really, yeah. as a customer, you're like, man. You guys are really squeezing me. And it might all come out to be the same exact amount, but feeling that squeeze, feeling that granular, yeah. every grain of sand squeeze, is, I think it's a relief when you only have this one thing to worry about. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's the way that people have purchased infrastructure for decades, right? You buy infrastructure, you capitalize it, and you get a good run out of it, and it's pretty simple. When Nevada starts now wanting to come in and take a bit of tax out of your operating model it hurts a bit and like you said what do you necessarily get for that so from us it was all about being simple and on that point it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the likes of the processor manufacturers because there's talk now about being able to buy your processors in your systems and then not necessarily have all the features enabled and then have to have software licensing on the features so it's going to be interesting to see what the response of the market is to things like that as well where now, more and more, your hardware providers are kind of limiting things that are happening. You're seeing it in the automotive industry, for example. You buy a car and then, oh, you wanted a heated steering wheel? Well, you can turn that on and it'll cost you $10 a month in the app. You know that the element's in the steering wheel, right? And someone's just got to write a piece of software. And there's a line there, I guess, where I think people need to be careful that you don't overstep your welcome so to speak, in terms of interfering too much with your customers' workloads or what they're doing. We certainly want to provide value, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to clip the ticket every time we do so.
Yeah, and the automotive industry piece is, is a good parallel there because it is happening in like, you know, BMW is offering heated seats and that sort of thing, but you have to pay for it. I get why maybe they did that, but I don't think that they're factoring in that lost customer that happens with that because with anything, if, if you start to feel like there's friction with things that you should be getting with the product that you've already paid for, and you can extend this out to video games and the microtransactions like, oh, you need to buy all these different things to get these cool outfits or these new weapons, right? <laughs> you just start to lose interest in it because it's like, man, this is a lot. Yeah. I probably started back maybe with cable television. You used to get cable and cable was cable. And then, uh, oh, you want this channel? Box People wanted the choice. People wanted to choose what they wanted to watch. The problem is, is they gave that to you. It's like deal with the devil, right? It's like, oh, you want that? <laughs> well, rough. guess what you get with this? Yeah. <laughs> your your soul is mine, right? But yeah, it's really the same concept with licensing and anything because you can make money. People are going to try to do that. That's right. And look, you know, from our perspective, our next challenge in that licensing piece as well, putting the customer's question out there, which is what happens on really small devices? Because that's great that you can license per node and I can build a really beefy quad processor system with a couple of terabytes of RAM and run a ton of VM and container workloads on there. But what about the other end of the scale when you go down to micro devices? And another thing in the new year for us, the moment where running on x86 hardware across the board we don't care which vendor by the way whether that's dell super micro hp we don't really care as long as it's x86 but in the new year we're adding support for arm and so that obviously then opens up a whole new world of smaller and smaller footprints and because fluid has a really small footprint in terms of where it can run it's 200 megs or so in size from a deployment perspective the question then becomes all right well i want to run it on we always joke internally in the office about you know running it in the back of a taxi that's not too far-fledged right like a, a kubernetes cluster that's running on some raspberry Pis or whatever it might be but then yeah how do you license that so that is a question that we're uh, wrestling with at the moment because obviously it need, does need to come at some form of discount but we also don't want to end up in a situation where we shard our licensing so much that we end up in this here's 50 different flavors of the same thing that again you need that doctorate in licensing to understand so we're super keen to make that as simple as possible yeah and that also extends into mobile and iot and that sort of thing so you're really looking at a, a wide swath of things that you could do that you really need to account for when you're doing the licensing model that's right. Yeah. And again, look, from our perspective, it's about enablement, right? So we saw the value in Cube. We see the amazing capabilities it has to run workloads. And I guess we've just enhanced and extended that so that we can really easily deploy the platform, connect the platform into CICD pipelines and other dev pipelines, and then really make that ed part of a software-defined infrastructure. So when you've done your updates, they've been through your tests, your uh, development team, and you want to get them out to the edge where they're going to be used and provide a real-world value, you pump that into Fluid or Cube running along, on top of Fluid, and your updates are out there in the field. So yeah, that's where we're headed, I guess, in the new year, pushing more and more out to the edge. But it means that from our perspective, that software-defined capability, and you know, IDC's done some interesting commentary and synopsis of that market as well. If you look at software-defined infrastructure, and then you break that down into software-defined networks, software-defined compute, and software-defined storage controllers, there's the three categories there, and NetApp fits that storage and data player really well fluid deals with the network and the compute really well so that's what makes this a really interesting stack together is that we have this full software defined infrastructure stack that you can deploy and manage and upgrade and secure all from side of netapp blue xp so does this 
basically work anywhere Blue XP works, like any of the cloud providers, or do you have limitations on which cloud you currently support? It'll go on any bare metal hardware. So today, that's obviously hardware that you have yourself, wherever you want to buy and deploy that. We have an integration specifically with Equinix Metal. And I know NetApp has a long relationship with Equinix as well. So we can deploy straight onto Equinix Metal, which is the packet company that was acquired by Equinix two years ago. And then we can run also then in any of the three major hyperscalers. So AWS, Azure, Google on their bare metal instances. We obviously can't deploy on their virtualized services, so we do need access to the bare metal. But the bare metal instances, like a two bare metal, for example, is perfectly fine and a great place for running fluid. And bear in mind, too, is that it can be any and all of those. So we have some fantastic scenarios and interesting use cases from customers where they might have nodes running in their colo and nodes running on Equinix Metal all at the same time, all on the same stretch cluster, And so basically that whole promise of hybrid and multi-cloud becomes true because we can move workloads around simply by relabeling, retagging pods that exist inside a cube, whether those pods are single binaries or whether the pods are VMs running inside of a pod. We have the capabilities to shift that all around. And then of course, under the hood, we've got NetApp's data fabric technology. So what we're seeing there are some really interesting use cases whereby they may have fluid nodes running on AWS bare metal instances, fluid nodes running in Equinix metal and bare metal instances of fluid running on their bare metal hardware in a colo. And what we're seeing is that whole hybrid and multi-cloud story becomes true because those resources are able to be seen in that single homogeneous pane of glass inside of BlueXP. And when we deploy a workload, we deploy the workload into that stretched cluster, if you like, and therefore the ability to move them between clouds is as simple as labeling and tagging pods, whether they're single binaries or a VM running as a pod, we can shift those around between locations and Fluid's magic is handling the networking elements. And then we lean upon, of course, the NetApp data fabric technology to make sure that the data gets to the right place at the right time. So again, it's another example where Fluid and NetApp working together to make that hybrid multi-cloud story come to life. As far as your integration with NetApp goes, do you have hooks into things like SnapMirror and replication outside of Azure Control? Is it just basically something that you have to cook up with REST API on your own or does Fluid kind of handle that for you? Something we toss around a lot internally is how deep do we go from an integration perspective? Because a lot of that functionality and tooling is already available in BlueXP through the other services that are exposed. And certainly as that used to evolve and system manager features end up in BlueXP, and a lot of that will already be exposed within BlueXP. So we make use of the open integration standards that exist from the NetApp tool sets that are out there. So a good example of that is Astra Trident and great CSI that is evolving huge leaps and bounds every time it's released, which is pretty regular. And so a lot of that functionality around controlling the snaps and sending instructions to the NetApp data fabric and then cloud services, we leverage through the CSI interface. So what it means from our perspective is we don't have to necessarily do a lot of deep integration with understanding how NetApp does its thing. We can rely upon Cube and CSI and Trident integration to basically handle those things for us. So a lot of that is inherently supported out of the box. The ability to turn up a fluid platform 
literally in a matter of five, six minutes, and then connect it back to Astra control service. That's what real integration and true partnership is about, is being able to leverage those around you that are good at what they do. And we see NetApp as being the best of breed in terms of data management. And so rather than reinvent those components, we've integrated and the perfect, I guess, melting point or melding pot for those things is to to have them meet inside of BlueXP. And that's exactly what we do. Sounds like you've got a lot going on there with Fluid and BlueXP integration. And I think it's worthwhile for people to go check it out. Is there a place where we can find more information other than going to the BlueXP interface and clicking on that particular icon? Or do you have independent places for people to go in case they don't have access to BlueXP? Yeah, sure. So you can go to our website, fluidhq.io, and there's a bit of a background there, some case studies of how the platform works. And of course, anytime you can find us also on Slack, fluidhqio.slack is our workspace. So feel free to reach out. Or of course, on LinkedIn, you can find me there, Andrew Showquist, spelled S-J-O-Q-U-I-S-T. Or my other co-founder is also there as well, Alex Turner. Feel free to reach out to either of us and we can put you in touch with the right people. And I really enjoy hearing about different solutions and scenarios and challenges and working with customers to see whether Fluid can help resolve some of those in the real world environments. Yeah, and we'll include those links to those pages as well as the email addresses in our blog so you don't have to worry about writing those down as you're driving. Thank you, Justin. Safety first. That's it. Always. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Andrew Shokers for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.